Welcome to the Counting Sleep Podcast. The show designed to help you drift off to sleep, to sci-fi, horror, and some of the most boring topics you've ever heard in your life. Tonight, I have something amazing for you. I have the complete history of the concept of nothing. Enjoy. Nothing, the complete absence of anything, has been a matter of philosophical debate since at least the 5th century BC. Early Greek philosophers argued that it was impossible for nothing to exist. The atomists allowed nothing but only the space between the invisibly small atoms. For them, all space was filled with atoms. Aristotle took the view that there exists matter, and there exists space, a receptacle to which matter objects can be placed. This became the paradigm for classical science of the modern age like Newton. Nevertheless, some philosophers like Descartes continued to argue against the existence of empty space until the scientific discovery of a physical vacuum. Existentialists, like Sartre or Heidegger, as interpreted by Sartre, have associated nothing with consciousness. Some writers have made connections between Heidegger's concept of nothing and the nirvana of Eastern religions. Modern science doesn't equate vacuum with nothing. Indeed, the vacuum in quantum field theory is filled with virtual particles. The quantum vacuum is often viewed as the modern version of an ether theory. The philosophy of nothing. Western philosophy. Some would consider the study of nothing to be foolish. A typical response of this type is voiced by Giacomo Casanova in conversation with his landlord, one Dr. Gozi, who also happens to be a priest. As everything, for him, was an article of faith. Nothing to his mind was difficult to understand. The Great Flood had covered the entire world. Before, men had the misfortune of living a thousand years. God conversed with them. Noah had taken one hundred years to build the ark. While the earth, suspended in air, stood firmly at the centre of the universe that God had created out of nothingness. When I said to him, and proved to him, that the existence of nothingness was absurd, he cut me short, calling me silly. However, nothingness has been treated as a serious subject for a long time. In philosophy, to avoid linguistic traps over the meaning of nothing, the phrase not being is often employed to make it clear what is being discussed. One of the earliest Western philosophers to consider nothing as a concept was Paramides in 5th century BC. He was a Greek philosopher of the monist school. He argued that nothing cannot exist from the following line of reasoning. To speak of a thing one has to speak of a thing that exists, 
since we can speak of a thing in the past, this thing must still exist in some sense now. And from this concludes that there is no such thing as change. As a corollary, there can be no such things as coming into being, passing out of being, or not being. Parmenides was taken seriously by other philosophers, influencing, for instance, Socrates and Plato. Aristotle gave Parmenides serious consideration, but concludes, although these opinions seem to flow logically in a dialectical discussion, yet to believe them seems next door to madness when one considers the facts. In modern times, Albert Einstein's concept of space-time has led many scientists, including Einstein himself, to adopt a position remarkably similar to Parmenides. On the death of his friend, Michel Besso, Einstein consoled his widow with the words, Now he has departed from the strange little world ahead of me that signifies nothing. For those of us that believe in physics, the distinction between past, present, and future is only stubbornly persistent illusion. Leosippicus, one of the atomists, along with other philosophers of his time, made attempts to reconcile the monism with an everyday observation of motion and change. He accepted the monist's position that there would be no motion without a void. The void is the opposite of being. It is not being. On the other hand, there exists something known as absolute plenum, a space filled with matter, and there can be no motion in the plenum because it is completely full. But there is not just one monolithic plenum, for existence consists of a multiplicity of plenums. These are the invisibly small atoms of Greek atomist theory, later expanded by Democritus, which allows the void to exist between them. In this scenario, macroscopic objects can come into being, move through space, and pass into not being by means of coming together and moving apart of their constitute atoms. The void must allow existence to happen, or else the frozen world of Parmedes must be accepted. Bertrand Russell points out that this does not exactly defeat the argument of Parmedes, but rather ignores it by taking the rather modern scientific position of starting with the observed data of motion and constructing a theory based on the data, as opposed to Parmedes' attempts to work from pure logic. Russell also observes that both sides were mistaken in believing that there can be no motion in a plenum, but arguably motion cannot start in a plenum. Cyril Bailey notes that Lepicus was the first person to say that the thing, the void, might be real without being a body, and points out the irony that this comes from a materialist atomist. Leopicus is therefore the first person to say that nothing has reality attached to it. Aristotle provided the classic escape from the logical problem posed by Parmedes by distinguishing things that are matter and things that are space. 
In this scenario, space is not nothing, but rather a receptacle in which objects of matter can be placed. The true void, as nothing, is different from space and is removed from consideration. This characterization of space reached its pinnacle with Isaac Newton, who asserted the existence of absolute space. René Descartes, on the other hand, turned to a Parmedes-like argument of denying the existence of space. For Descartes, there was matter, and there was extension of matter leaving no room for the existence of nothing. The idea that space can actually be empty was generally still not accepted by philosophers who invoked arguments similar to the plenum reasoning. Although Descartes viewed that they were challenged by Blasé Pascal, he declined to overturn the traditional belief. Horror vacue, commonly stated as nature abhors a vacuum. This remained so until Evangelistica Torcelli invented the barometer in 1643 and showed that an empty space appeared if the mercury tube was turned upside down. This phenomenon was known as the Torricelli vacuum and the unit of vacuum pressure, the Tor, being named after him. Even Torricelli's father, the famous Galileo Galilei, had been previously been unable to adequately explain the sucking action of a pump. John the Scot, or Johann Scotus Erugina, held many surprising heretical beliefs for the time he lived in which no action appears to ever have been taken against him. His ideas mostly stem from, or are based on the work translating Pseudo-Dionysus. His beliefs are essentially pantheist, and he believes evil, amongst other things, are not being. This is done on the grounds that evil is the opposite of good, a quality of God, but God can have no opposite, since God is everything in the pantheist view of the world. Similarly, the idea that God created the world out of nothing is to be interpreted as the meaning that the nothing here is synonymous with God. George Wilhelm Frederick Hegel is the philosopher who brought the dialectical method to a new pinnacle of development. According to Hegel, in Science of Logic, the dialectical methods consist of three steps. First, a thesis of given, which can be any proposition in logic. Second, the antithesis of the thesis is formed. And finally, a synthesis incorporating both thesis and antithesis. Hegel believed that no proposition taken by itself can be completely true. Only the whole can be true. And the dialectical synthesis was the means by which the whole could be explained in relation to a specific proposition. Truth consists of the whole process separating out thesis, antithesis, and synthesis as a standalone statement and results in something that is some way or other untrue. The concept of nothing arises in Hegel right at the beginning of his logic. 
The whole is called Hegel the Absolute and is viewed as something spiritual. Hegel then has thesis is the absolute of pure being. Antithesis is the absolute of nothing. And synthesis is the absolute of becoming. The most prominent figure among the existentialists is Jean-Paul Satir, whose book Being and Nothingness is heavily influenced by Being and Time of Martin Heidegger. Although Heidegger later stated that he was misunderstood by Sartre, Sartre defines two kinds of being. One is etre en soi, the brute of existence, of things such as a tree. The other kind is etre pour soi, which is consciousness. Sartre claims that the second kind of being is nothing, since consciousness cannot be an object of consciousness and can possess no essence. Sartre, and even so much more, Yarkis Lacan, use this conception of nothing as the foundation of their atheist philosophy, equating nothingness with the leads of creation from nothing, and hence God is no longer needed for there to be existence. The understanding of nothing varies wildly between cultures, especially between Western and Eastern cultures and philosophical traditions. For instance, Sanyata, emptiness, unlike nothingness, is considered to be a state of mind in some forms of Buddhism. Achieving nothing as a state of mind in this tradition allows one to be totally focused on a thought or an activity at a level of intensity that they would not be able to achieve if they were consciously thinking. A classic example of this is an archer attempting to erase the mind and clear the thoughts to better focus a shot. Some authors have pointed to similarities between the Buddhist conception of nothingness and the ideas of Martin Heidegger and existentialists like Sartre. Although this connection has not been explicitly made by the philosophers themselves. In some Eastern philosophies, the concept of nothingness is characterized by an egoless state of being in which one fully realizes one's own small part of the cosmos. The Kyoto School handles the concept of nothingness as well. Laozi and Zhongzi were both conscious that language is powerless in the face of the ultimate. In Taoist philosophy, however, real this world is, its main characteristics, is impermanence, whereas the Tao has permanence that cannot be described, predetermined or named. In this way, the Tao is different from anything that can be named. It is non-existence, or in other words, nothing. Taoists have also related nothingness to the concept of Wu Wei. In science, the proven existence of a vacuum through the 17th to the 19th century thought there must be a medium pervading all space that allowed the transmission of light or gravity. Thus, in this period, it was not accepted that complete nothing was possible. Theories describing such a medium are collectively known as ether theories, so named as an evocation of the ether the classical element in Greek philosophy. 
in particular, the medium that is supposed to allow the transmission of light is called the luminiferous ether. This became the centre of attention after James Clerk Maxwell proposed that light was an electromagnetic wave in 1865. Early ether theories include those of Robert Hooke and Christian Huygens. Newton also had an ether theory, but to Newton it was not the medium of transmission since he theorised light was composed of corpsicles, which moved by simple mechanical motion. He needed the ether instead to explain refraction. Early theories generally proposed a mechanical medium of some sort, allowing the possibility of the same medium supporting light and gravity. Proof that light has a wave nature, rather than Newton's corpsicles, was provided by Thomas Young in his 1803 interference experiment, seemingly confirming the need for an ether. The most well-known attempt to detect the existence of an ether was conducted by Albert A. Michelson in the experiment of 1881, later repeated by Edward W. Morley in 1887 with more precision. This failed to show the desired effect, but reluctant to abandon the ether theory, various attempts were made to modify and account for the Michelson-Morley result. Finally, Albert Einstein, building on the work of Hendrik Lorentz, published his theory of special relativity in 1905, which dispenses entirely with the need of luminiferescence ether to explain the transmission of light. Although a physical medium was no longer required, the concept of ether still did not entirely vanish. It remained necessary to assign properties to the vacuum for various purposes. In some respects, vacuum and ether are treated as synonyms by science. In modern quantum field theory, a completely empty vacuum is not at zero-point energy, the lowest possible energy state. First proposed by Paul Dirac in 1927, the lowest energy state has a constant random vacuum fluctuations, which brings into existence short-lived virtual particles. This is someone reminiscent of early philosophical plenum ideas, that means that a vacuum and nothing are certainly not synonyms. <laughs>